I've said many harsh things on this program before. I know it's been a while since I posted a podcast, but the uh, events have taken a lot of my time. And the events since the last podcast have taken up quite a bit of my time, uh, as, long, as well as some personal things. So, you know, you have to take that into, into account. But the deal is, right now, it's a special deal, no. The deal is that in some of the previous podcasts, I, was, I used very, very harsh language. And it was because um, I had come to a point where I was fed up watching people um, in governments around the world just acting foolishly, you know, like our system, the systems of government that we have, the various different styles of government, um, just all of a sudden just decided to malfunction at the same time. And a lot of people talk about Soros, a lot of people talk about terrorists, a lot of people talk about whatever names, you know, ISIS or Daesh or all these different things. And the underlying that everyone else in all the governments in the world are aware of, acutely aware of, is the fact that um, the liberal Democrat government under Obama was largely responsible for a continuation of uh, events and, and decisions to actively go after and uh, also engage in funding and equipping of terrorism in the Middle East and elsewhere. Uh, and also, um, we've seen a dramatic, I don't know, <laughs> I don't know if you've noticed it or not. I've probably said this before on this program, but we've seen a, a dramatic drop in the types of incidences that are, you know, like for example, certain types of shootings where the evidence obviously points to a small group of uh, liberal globalist elitists uh, that are people that every nation on the planet is pretty much aware of. Now, the the interesting aspect about the whole thing is then is that those people that be, are being uh, rooted out. They're being pulled out, they're being removed, they're being, you know, uh, in some cases charged, but this was a massive global criminal enterprise that was siphoning off trillions and trillions of dollars out of the world economy and holding it in a place where Al Gore can get to it. How absurd, you know, how absurd. And we know the actors, we know the players, we know what their scheme was, we know what, you know, we know what they were after. And what I can't, what I can't bring myself to understand is how it is that we get the dumbest people that come up with the dumbest plans. You know, we get the stupid, these people are not smart. I mean, it'd be one thing if you were going to plan something that massive on that massive of a scale. Okay, that would be one thing if you had smart people doing it, and they just did it and it worked. But these people... I mean, the attempt is the part that's offensive to me, that they attempted to do this offends me because it offends my sensibilities. I mean, it offends the very core of an intelligent person. Like, the, 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 these people are not intelligent people, okay? The fact that they set out on this course, uh, I can't say enough disparaging things about that. But, so... We've made progress. There's been great progress in various countries. We've got um, some things going on in Canada, uh, some cleanup work there. We have some cleanup work going on in France. We have cleanup work going on in other various places. And uh, so I have hope that this big giant mess that everyone has created, you know, this all stems from, the whole idea stems from a, a everyone heard there was gonna be a one, let's say for example, everyone um, heard that there was going to be a one world government. So because they heard there's going to be a one world government, they 
each organization, each group of people, they all separated out. We had all the different teams all teamed up and different teams, different sides, different power plays. Everyone made a power play to be this overarching rulership of the entire planet. Everybody did. The liberals, the liberal globalists, the Europeans, the, the, the EU, the UN, you know, the, the, the Middle East, everybody jockeyed, everybody, you know, cut it out. Just knock it off. I mean, I'm not, I get, I feel bad when I have to rake somebody over the coals because they're stupid. I feel bad. And, and, and that adds to my frustration, I guess. It adds to my frustration as far as, you know, when you get challenged by somebody that doesn't know anything, when you get challenged by somebody that doesn't know what they're doing and is just full on going full force the absolute wrong way, you're just, it's, and, the, and they're not listening to anybody, you know. Case in point, the, the, the yellow vests in France, I'm going to guarantee you, because I've been watching, took all of the French politicians by surprise. Literally nobody knew what was going on, where this came from. None of them realized that their people were being overtaxed, that they were running out of money at the end of the month, that they were going into debt. Nobody realized it. Now, Macron, he wants to talk about it. So first he says, it's your right to protest. And then he triples down on the amount of police officers and they brutalize all of the people protesting. So there's two things about this. First of all, I can understand from his perspective that you wouldn't want to just sign it away and, and, and sit down and go, oh, well, you, I'm, I'm overtaxing you. Well, let me change that. I have to change that because everybody's protesting. You can't really do that as a leader of a republic because if you do that, then every time somebody doesn't like something, you will have these protests for which people, it will get stuck in people's minds that they will end up having to, that your government will capitulate to you if you bring enough force. So he can't do that. So he does the only thing that he can do, and that is to police the situation so that it doesn't get out of control. Those are natural decisions. I have no problem with that, except for one thing. At the same time as these things are going on, he still fails to realize and recognize that these people are in a state that, they, that is untenable. They cannot continue this way. So therefore, what needs to happen is not to sit down and talk to them and give them platitudes. What needs to happen is you need to restructure the tax structure, give these people back their money that they've earned, and stop leaking the money out to Germany and Belgium and, and EU and other places and start putting that money back into the people's hands. Where, you know, this is another one of those examples of the uh, failed globalist takeover where they've siphoned off trillions of dollars and they've got it, you know, who knows where, you know, and the people are missing that money. That money is no longer in their economy. It's not in the economy of France anymore. It's not in the economies of these countries. It's being held somewhere else in, in a separate place. So the, that's the problem is, is that, that because that money is no longer in their economies, the people are being overtaxed by the structure that, that you know, when that carbon tax came along and went into effect, then they started seeing that they were in the red. The people themselves were in the red. And it was the, it was the people down, you know, on the margins. These are the, these are the people that are down in the bottom, you know, single moms, waitresses, older, older pensioners. You've got all kinds of different, you know, it, it runs the gamut. It runs the, the whole entire spectrum of their, of their population in the lower segment, in the, and even in the uh, middle class. You know, everybody's hurting. But when, so when you get to a point and when you don't have anything, and someone, you know, wants to take away even more. You know, they, the, the truck drivers start having to spend more on fuel, on a tax for fuel for the same amount of work that they were getting out, or they have to pay more. So it's money just being siphoned off out of their pockets for no good reason. Uh, and it's not staying in France, it's leaving. So, so 
for Macron to not realize that the money is not recirculating in an effective manner and for the, the European Union to be obviously aware of it. You know, this is part of what they've set up, but their whole criminal enterprise system that they've put together that essentially takes everybody's money and does the what with it? What are you guys doing? <laughs> you know, and so that's why you saw those yellow vest protests spreading very rapidly across Europe is because it, it was something that was effective in effect, affecting everyone, but it was uh, something that all of those lower echelon you know, uh, uh, population, uh, portions of your populations in those areas were, were being uh, hit hard. So for these people to not understand these things and for these people to only rely on the apparatus of the Republic, which is a, has a, um, by its nature, a limiting uh, authoritative factor to it, he literally has no power to actually undo what he's done because he's beholden to the people who are basically telling him, we have the money, don't you, give, don't you make us give that money back? See? So, yeah. So I, so I think it's really funny because his first reaction was it was it was alt right. This was the, this was the right wing agenda being sprung on France on the Republic of France, and it turns out that the people who he considered before to be extremely right wing were also surprised about it, and you can go back and find um, numerous uh, examples in footage of them when these uh, protests first started, that they were just as surprised as he was, and so. Since then, they've listened and they've kind of come to a, which side am I on on this, on this issue? But literally it came out of nowhere and it came out of the blue. So you have a, a, the people who are elected to represent the, 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 the people were unaware and detached from the, that information enough to not be able, and their influence within the parliamentary system, the, their influence within that, uh, that body, that governing uh, body or the, the legislative body was limited in a, in a way that did not allow them to actually have any power to do anything about it. See, see what's going on. Everybody's getting tripped up with the tricks. You know, you don't, you want people to not to have some power to make decisions, but you don't want them to have too much power because if they have too much power, they might make the wrong decisions. And if they make the wrong decisions, you, you have to do what you're going to be, end up being right exactly where you are today, where you're trying to get the guy out of there because he's making the wrong decisions and you have no power to actually do it except by force. And in his, from his perspective, since the, you know, people have basically are, are coming against him, he's looking at what's left and thinking, do I have any allies left among the population? And if he does, it convinces him that fact will convince him to keep going, to maintain his course of action. And, and it'll polarize him to the point where um, his course of action would be to increase security, increase the amount of police officers, even if he has to import them. And, he, and that's just exactly what he's done. So uh, he literally has no authority to back out because of the way that the agreements are structured with the EU. And so as a backlash, we have um, groups uh, joining together from different countries, uh, building coalitions to, to retake or take the European Union so that they can fix these things. So we, so we have this conflict, and the conflict really is about the sovereignty of nations. The conflict is really about um, that we have distinct people groups and a large number of them in a, in a concentrated area uh, on the continent of Europe. And they're all, they all want to maintain their distinctive characteristics and their distinctive uh, familial ancestries and so on and so forth. They want to keep that heritage. And I don't find anything wrong with that. But... And the idea, so I guess what I'm getting at is, is that it's okay to trade with each other in Europe. That's what you want. And it's okay to do things to facilitate trade, but you can do that with bilateral agreements. Everybody can get what they need in a bilateral situation. 
everybody just starts talking to everybody else and they start making agreements. The European Union was set up to facilitate this even more, make it easier to do. But instead of being set up as an authority, it was set up as a bureaucracy. And that's really essentially what's happened. The bureaucracy is underneath and underlies the actual authority, which is uh, sovereign. Uh, and each nation has the ability to, you know, decide that, I mean, the European Union cannot rule over, which it is trying to do, which they are trying to make it do. And that's not what, it, what it's built for. So with all of these agreements um, in place for trade and so on and so forth, what you have is um, some states, some countries getting richer while other ones are getting poorer and people are going into the red because other people aren't, you know, kicking in their fair share or whatever. So the whole idea is flawed on its face because there was no ability to, uh, to commit to a fairness doctrine that allowed when I say fairness, I don't mean fair and equal as in like a socialism type of thing. What I'm saying fair is it's fair to expect that most countries should be able to, um, they, there should be enough capital uh, and in trade and in goods and in, in every way that business is done in Europe, there should be enough capital for each country to, to still maintain and sustain itself. And when you don't have that, and you also have a lack of everything else that was that a that was supposed to be the benefit, you have none of the benefits. You just have somebody taking your money. So, so it's a mess, and it's a mess because politicians uh, are too connected to the people that they know, and they are too connected to the businesses uh, to the point that they are they have a vested interest, and they are stakeholders in uh, the um, in the investments of these businesses. Okay. So a uh, case in point up in Canada, uh, you have uh, under Trudeau, you have this uh, case, the SNC-Lavalin case. Now, I said this the other day to someone in Canada. I said, is there anyone left in Canada who doesn't have what could even be construed as a conflict of interest? Uh, because every one of them that is at that level of the federal government uh, makes investments of some sort. Okay. So the trick is, and they have these, they have rules that govern um, what things that they can and can't, uh, you know, act upon. And several times people in that government have gotten caught doing the very thing that they're not supposed to do, uh, you know, writing uh, or legislating pieces of legislation, which increase their bottom line there. They, it increases their, their, it's, it's essentially like insider trading is what it is. If you go and make a law that you know that, that, that a company is going to benefit from and you sell your stock, you know, you can't do that. That those things you can, I mean, you can't do that. There's no place in the world that you can do that, but it's tempting to do it. And they get in there and they do it. And that's the violation. That's the violation, not just the ethics rules, but that's the, that those are criminal code violations. It's not good to do, but can you find somebody that can, so what ends up happening is, is that those people get put in, they get into the political arena and they don't leave that behind. And what they have are, <laughs> there is nobody in Canada that isn't related. There isn't anybody in Canada that doesn't have investments in all of these Canadian companies. There isn't anybody that becomes a politician that can divest themselves in a way that's not going to uh, influence any of their legislative uh, or legislative making uh, decisions. So that's a problem. The whole thing's a problem. And they, you know, so they come up with all of these elaborate schemes like blind trust. They do the, you know, they, they have all of these things that they try to come up with, but it still doesn't work because the person knows who their friends are. And so what you have is uh, an unchecked, subtle corruption that has gone unchecked for quite some time. So to demand that everybody, no one has any ties, no one has any ties, it's almost near impossible. Okay. So... There are remedies to some of these things, and, and I'm sure that those things are going to get looked at, especially in light of these um, new allegations of impropriety uh, as far as the government is concerned, um, where they had asked that the uh, attorney general not 
uh, or drop charges or do a deferred prosecution with SE, uh, SNC Lavalin or whatever the company is. It doesn't really matter. The, the point is, is that uh, there was, it's impropriety. It's impropriety. And so it's no good. It's no good. But they, they, there are ways to accomplish remedies that are, um, the whole system is supposed to be for the fairness uh, and, and create a framework for everyone to prosper under that framework. It's not supposed to be the group of people that gets together and picks and chooses who wins and who loses. That's what it's not supposed to be. It's supposed to be uh, a group of people who looks after this framework that makes sure that ensures that everyone from the, from the least to the greatest, from every class in their, um, in their country, and I'm using them as an example, it, it's, it's mostly the same everywhere in the world, but, you, but governments are there to provide a framework for everyone who is part of their country to prosper. That you have, and that's why America is so popular. It's because it's it's a it's a great framework. It's simple. It's understandable. People come in, you know, they they become part of it, and they are they you know have a chance to really prosper and live in a way that they've never been able to live before, or wouldn't be able to live in, in a country that they're from. Now, I've said this before too that that idea is reproducible. You can reproduce that. It requires that your country is stable. It requires that everyone has that sense, not of nationalism that we're going to go and conquer everyone, but, uh, but a, uh, and it's not necessarily a pride, but it's a sense of belonging to that greater, uh, uh, thing that every, that your, you, your neighbors, your family, your friends, everyone belongs to this, this thing. Okay. So, so the freedom itself is reproducible. You can have it anywhere in the world. You can have it in these third world countries. It can be built everywhere. It, it requires security. It requires, and the reason the security is there is not, <laughs> is not to keep the heavy hand on the, the population. The security is there to uh, invite investments. So once you start inviting investments, you start creating jobs, you start making better lives for people, and there is that framework for success in a successful nation. And from there, you have a springboard to, uh, to success. You have a springboard to propel you into, you know, uh, area that, that those countries uh, have never been able to achieve. And, and they've been, you know, waiting on the sidelines to, to get in the game. And so there's no, the only thing that has been stopping all of us from providing that framework or helping or assisting each other, which is our duty as humans, as brothers and sisters, uh, that's the only thing that's, that's stopped it is those people who seek to take over and control it. So there isn't any... I, in my opinion, there needs to not be any more border changing. I don't, I think that the era for me personally, I feel that the era of, um, of, you know, people, people groups going out to conquer and increasing their territory by, by violence or by force is over. You know, you know, you can't go too far outside your country without running into a whole lot of people, you know, on the other side of the border, no matter what country you live in, you know? So we have come to a point in our history, in human history, where we need to start looking out for each other. And not because, you know, if, if we don't, you know, whatever, or we haven't in the past. And, and so the reason why people want to go to America is because America's prosperous, but it's been prosperous, but also at the same time, it's helped a number of countries. Has it helped enough? Has it solved all the problems? No, it hasn't. But the, the point is, is that that has created that, that vacuum of people. People want to go there. People want to be a part of that. But we can make every nation that way. That's what I believe. I believe every nation has the potential to do the very same thing. 
And, and I'm not talking about sunny ways. I'm not talking about pie in the sky. I'm not talking about I have a dream or anything like that. I'm just saying that where you find something that you can do in, in whatever capacity you are in in your life and you can help, then, then lift your brothers and sisters up out of poverty. Give them that dream. Give them that hope. Give them that liberty. Uh, do it. Do it.